Good afternoon from Maui, Hawaii. It's Michael Benner with this week's Ageless Wisdom Mystery School webinar. And I really appreciate you all being here today, whether you're listening live on the Internet or live on the telephone or perhaps coming back for the replay, which will be posted at the site forevermore. Always be available to you. And I want to remind you, we have a very cool gadget that you can use this week or next week or for any of the past programs, actually, to send a link to one of these audio webinars through the email to any number of friends. And uh, you don't even have to open your email program. You just click the link and choose which program or programs, plural, you want to send to which friends, and it goes out automatically. It's very cool. And part of the viral uh, marketing, if you will, for lack of a better term, uh, I like that concept of viral. Finally, some positive <laughs> connotation for the word viral, a good kind of a virus, uh, knowledge and hope and uh, understanding. So, um, if you didn't get a chance to forward the email invitation to your interested friends, remember you can uh, send them a link to this or any other program that we've done here on our webinar series Sunday afternoons. And you'll find all of that on my website, theagelesswisdom.com. Again, if you're listening on the web, you can see the link in the lower right-hand corner. Unleash Inner Peace takes you to the Focus Passion site where Steve and I are just about to upgrade, and below that you'll see Michael's website as well as a, a link in the lower right for the audio archives. You can go directly there, and uh, the newsletter blog, which I've opened up to comment, so you can begin to comment on the newsletter blog, and also use a share of this link for dynamic bookmarking and posting and so on and so forth. It's all very cool. Uh, yeah, today... Standing on the verge of big change. And uh, I'm anxious to talk about the election, which is a couple of days away now, a matter of hours. And uh, I think the very first thing I want to say, and I must say the very first uh, message that's been submitted on our question page is from a, a friend of mine for many, many years, a wonderful hypnotherapist, and uh, he's also a stage hypnotist very entertaining fellow, uh, but I know him as a hypnotherapist, I, I'll say a hypnotherapist with the right emphasis. Mark Bachrock in uh, Thousand Oaks is reminding us that um, elections have been stolen in the last couple of years. Uh, you'll all remember, I'm sure, eight years ago, the Supreme Court intervened and prevented all the ballots from being counted in Florida. So we had our very first selected president, not elected, but selected, and that was George W. Bush. Whether he would have won anyway appears doubtful, but we'll leave it up to the historians to decide. But <clears throat> that the Republican Party, through Catherine Harris and others in Florida, were truly biased in the way they handled the voting. Four years later, excuse me while I take a little sip of juice here. Four years later, of course, 2004 in Ohio, the same thing happened 
when elections are close, they can be stolen. Um, paper ballots can disappear, although that's rare. Uh, computers can go backwards, which we saw. Um, a vote for John Kerry was, in Ohio, often two votes for George Bush. And we had more people voting for Bush in Florida and Ohio than there were registered voters. Uh, that, that, that their voter suppression efforts have uh, targeted ACORN and others regarding voter fraud is a little absurd when you look at who invented uh, I won't say there hasn't always been voter fraud and, and dead people registering to vote, but that's voter registration fraud. For them, for the dead person to show up at the poll and vote, that would be voter fraud, and that's not likely. Um, but to suppress the vote, which is in the GOP interest, always has been in the Republican interest, is something they're very good at. So uh, Mark is reminding us here, not to be overconfident, not to sit back, not to figure that somebody else is going to cast the voter because you're in California, it's a blue state, and it's safe. You've still got to go to the polls. There are important referenda uh, that, that need to be voted on. California, for example, you have, what is it, Proposition 8, which would uh, ban uh, gay marriage so that People of that orientation are prevented, blocked, uh, in what is largely a Mormon church effort. Most of the money um, to promote this um, is coming from the Mormon church. And, you know, again, for the Mormons to be lecturing us on marriage, uh, when they only recently dropped polygamy, and many of them are still polygamous, but they're going to tell us the right way to be married, uh, it just seems unconscionable. And there's other, uh, you know, you're probably school board people need to be reelected, or uh, some county offices and, and state officials and some of your Congress people. This is not just the president. There's a lot here at stake. And we've got to do it. We've got to have a landslide. Okay? It's got to be an overwhelming landslide for change. So I want to encourage you to vote on Tuesday. Uh, my biases are clear. They're not. I'm not voting for Barack Obama on Tuesday because he's a Democrat. Uh, I'm voting because largely what he stands for is peace and justice, and that's all I've ever really cared about in my life. That's all I've ever really wanted from my involvement in the early and mid-1960s in civil rights, uh, to my anti-war activities during the Vietnam era, and uh, most of you know me as a talk show host and journalist in the 80s and the 90s, and whether I was on commercial radio at KABC or Pacifica at KPFK, that's all we're really asking for is, you know, as John Lennon would say, to give peace a chance. Just leave us alone, and the people of the world want peace and justice. It's just that the leaders seem to have their own particular agenda. It appears that it has to do with money, but it doesn't. Sometimes it looks like it's about oil, but it's really about power. You know, The appearance that it's about money or oil or resources, 
it's about power and uh, it's wrong it's we're not a peaceful nation and we're not a nation that by and large has been interested in justice and yet these are incredibly exciting times and so uh, I'd, I'd just like to talk a little bit off the top of my head I made a few notes this morning but not even a half a page of notes I, I just want to share my enthusiasm with you having already encouraged you to help us create this landslide again not not just because Democrats have to beat Republicans, but the good guys have to beat the evildoers. <laughs> this dividing the world up into good guys and bad guys and doing it by dividing our nation into good guys and bad guys. We've, we've heard McCain and particularly Sarah Palin. And who was that U.S. Senator from Minnesota, Michelle Bachman? who was talking about the good America and the bad America, the, the patriotic America and the part of America that hates America. You know, those of us who want peace and justice are being portrayed as those who hate America. So, again, let me acknowledge Mark's request and encourage you to pile on, make this a landslide. And I bet a lot of you have seen the Sarah Silverman video about schlepping the vote in Florida and what that's all about is going to your grandparents and saying look uh, you love me I'm your grandchild I'm your grandson your granddaughter and I know you love me more than life itself and so please don't screw up my world anymore okay give me a person like Barack Obama who has caught a wave of hope and optimism and enthusiasm that is bigger than Barack Obama, bigger than the Democratic Party, bigger than politics itself, and I'm the one that has to live in this world, okay? And I hope you can stick around for a while, but if you're going to go vote, it's my future. Please, don't give me four more years of hell and torture and rendering, and war for oil, and genocide, please. So I'm not going to really talk about politics. It may sound like I'm talking about politics, but I'm really not. I'm a journalist who was searching for the truth as I came out of college and worked in radio as a journalist looking for truth. And it led me to philosophy, which is the ultimate search for truth. And the ultimate truth I've discovered, and I know that many of you understand, truth is love. They're the same word. In much of esoteric philosophy, love truth is hyphenated as if it's a single word. So when you seek the truth, you have to go into a loving place. Not only is love truth, but love is the means by which you recognize the truth. Because as you become relaxed and safe and loving, whether it's a meditation or a contemplation or a, a prayer-like state or just a walk in the woods, ah, you take a breath and you relax, and all that is not true, mentally and emotionally, 
tends to fall away. And what you're left with is a clarity of how things should be. Do that and take that with you into the polling place on the on Tuesday or before if you can vote some some people are voting today some people are able to vote Monday many people have already voted but my point is that a vote for Barack Obama and Joe Biden at the top of the ticket the apex of our leadership pyramid is a vote not just for Democrats and not simply for liberal politics it's a vote for a vision of peace and justice. I think we're watching a cultural tipping point that at once has been delayed by the scandalous politics of Karl Rove, but also at the same time in some ways accelerated. Because I think the the evil, the greed, the apathy and indifference the fear and desperation that we have been presented with under the guise of leading America. Now our president is a commander-in-chief first. You hear McCain saying, I'm running for commander-in-chief. Well, personally, I'm not really interested in a president who thinks, first and foremostly, he's the commander-in-chief. I think, first and foremostly, he or she would be an executive and then a diplomat and lastly commander-in-chief and then I've heard Barack Obama say about the war in Iraq a war we know now is based on lies and complicated by torture and extreme rendering kidnapping people and no habeas corpus prisoning, imprisoning people in Abu Ghraib and elsewhere, even American citizens without their right to counsel by an attorney, without any due process at all, without even being charged with a crime. The right to habeas corpus is 800 years old, and the Bush administration shredded it. This is not Republican versus Democrat. This is a battle of ages of culture. And the Republican Party, since Ronald Reagan, Nixon was to some extent on board with this, but it really begins with Reagan, the way he was able to build a coalition of people who would vote against their own interests because of a single issue. So he got all the people who wanted to outlaw abortion to vote for him, even though it was contrary to their interests in many other areas. He got all the gun freaks, left, center, and right. That's not a partisan issue. A lot of liberals love their guns. A lot of left-wing radicals would fight as hard as the, the bubbas on the right for their guns. But Reagan got them all together, all the gun freaks. Uh, uh, another one-issue um, uh kind of a candidate that he aligned like beads on the string and then of course all the big corporations that wanted uh, tax breaks for shipping jobs overseas and plundering our economy got all them together all right, and then began to divide as Karl Rove stepped in
took over from Lee Atwater and Donald Segretti and all the dirty tricks people that go back to Nixon. And they began to divide America up into red states and blue states and good guys and bad guys. And I mean, do you realize, of course you do, but reconsider the implications of John McCain and Sarah Palin calling their opposition socialists, Marxists, terrorists, and Muslim, not to Biden, is a racist reference. Okay, socialist I could tolerate. I don't think there's any shame in that. I might even argue Marxist, but to most Americans, these words have been dumbed down to the point that they're just bad, evil, wrong words. They're names. They're slanderous labels. And what did Barack say in exchange? He's been called repeatedly a socialist, a Marxist, a terrorist, and probably worst of all, a Muslim. I don't see why we couldn't have a Muslim president, but as if, you know, all of Islam is part of this jihad of the fundamentalists. What the people we're having a problem with in Islam, the Muslims we're having a problem with, are the fundamentalists. The Christians we're having the problem with are the fundamentalists. The Jews uh, that we're having the problem with politically are the fundamentalists. It seems to me the problem is fundamentalism in religion, not this religion or that religion. But look at the smearing and look at the name-calling. And what has Barack Obama said about John McCain as recently as two days ago? Yes, I will consider putting him in my cabinet. There's an inequity here that's not just good guys and bad guys. It's the old way versus the new way. I heard Barack a couple of days ago tell a crowd, at first without attribution, he said, I will not take the low road to the highest office in this land. And I thought, cool, what a great phrase. Way to go, Barack. But then he followed it with attribution. He said that was John McCain in the year 2000. I will not take the low road to the high. Well, obviously he was willing to take the low road. In fact, he got off the road into the ditch, into the gutter, into the cesspool, reversed himself, gave up all those mavericky positions. <laughs> that he had those few areas where he was resistant to Bush policies, like torture and immigration and global warming, and reversed himself in order to get the Republican nomination. He gave up all that mavericky stuff, but of course he had to run as if he was other than Bush. And... To get in the gutter and to do this kind of name-calling after promising eight years ago that he would never take the low road to the highest office in the land, but he did. I think John McCain has been broken twice, and I feel strong compassion for John McCain. I really do. Again, I, I want to hasten to add what Mark just said. This doesn't mean we we forget about 
how close this election could potentially be about the ability and the willingness of the right wing in this country to steal elections. They're, they're willing to send your children to war for oil. They certainly don't have any problem with stealing an election or two, right? They're willing to drop bombs on cities, to blow up apartment buildings where they know children are sleeping, don't ever doubt their ability and willingness to steal another election, right? Whatever it is that they have to do. But I do have compassion for John McCain because I think he's a man who tried to be in his integrity, but his ambition got the better of him. So now for a second time, he's been broken. Barack Obama did not bring it up, and many Americans do not know that as a result of prolonged torture in Hanoi, uh, at the hands of the North Vietnamese, uh, John McCain was broken. His shoulders were broken by being beat up with gun butts, and he finally caved and confessed that he was a war criminal. Now, I don't hold that against him. If, I, if I'd been kidnapped in war, I'd say anything to keep from being beat up. I, I, <laughs> I wouldn't hold out as long as he did. But the tragedy here of Shakespearean magnitude, I think, is that for a second time this man's been broken. He was a man who was a maverick and who had some integrity, and he made the Faustian bargain and sold his soul and took the low road and then drove off the road and ended up in the ditch. Doesn't mean you don't have to go to the polls on Tuesday, but that's where he ended up. Twice in his life, broken down. And he has to live now for the rest of his life, however many years that may be, knowing what he did, dealing with it in, in whatever way he can, I guess. So, the... McCain-Palin campaign smears Barack Obama with racist smears. Uh, the, I haven't even mentioned the Reverend Wright smear. And still, in spite of that, 23% of voters polled in Texas last week still believe Barack is a Muslim. Okay, It doesn't say much for the intelligence of Texans. I've always heard it said, you can always tell a Texan. You can't tell them very much, but you can always tell a Texan. So 23% of Texans polled still believe that Barack is a Muslim, in spite of the Reverend Wright debacle. <laughs> 20 years sitting in Reverend Wright's church. And they can. You know, this is what you call the low-information voter. And this is part of my larger point today. That culture, that bubba, guns and God, I'm a redneck and proud of it, I don't read, I've never read, I'm not sure I even know how to read anymore, and I'm proud of it, and NASCAR, and whatever that culture is about, proud to be stupid, is dying, it's going away, it's all but gone, and uh, it never was American. It's strongest in the South. A lot of it is leftover Southern racism 
from when this country practiced slavery and genocide. Slavery on Africans, genocide on indigenous Americans, so-called Indians, if you will. Um, this is big. This is a coming, I think, of the new age that so many of us have worked for. Uh, uh, many fundamentalist Christians talk about a new age also. But again, they have a very literal, strict interpretation about apocalypse and rapture, most of which was born in the 19th century. In the early 1800s, the idea of rapture was invented for the first time. It's not even 200 years old, let alone 2,000 years old. It's not in the Bible. It's all made up. Just like, you know, the Mormons made up their, their stuff about looking into the hat to hear the voice of God. And by the way, if George Bush thinks he's getting orders directly from God, what does that say about God? I don't hear anybody mentioning that either. Bush believes he has regular conversations with God. He has said out loud, God wanted me to be president. Did he consult his father, Bush 41, the former president, who also invaded Iraq? No, W said. I have a father with a higher authority. God talks to me. Well, George, the mess you created, if God's talking to you, that doesn't say much for God. So I suspect that you're deluded and you're hearing voices in your head. So one way of looking at this mess that we've created has to be from the point of view of mental illness. We have megalomaniacs. And poor W again, just like Bush, I do have some compassion. You know, he's a cheerleader at Yale. He just wanted to please his father and he's never been able to do that. And, of course, there's Cheney, the real puppeteer, pulling Bush's strings. And behind Cheney, hundreds of thousands of totally corrupt uh, the, uh, uh, executives, you know, corporations, uh, pushing all of this. And the no-bid contracts. And, and uh, again, how many Americans know that, we have more mercenaries, paid mercenaries in Iraq than we have troops. They want to privatize everything. This is, we're, we're coming out of a, I, in many ways I think it, it had to get this dark and this evil in order for enough Americans to wake up and say, wait a minute, I'm, maybe I'm not that guns and God and NASCAR redneck uh, low-information voter. If you don't want to call it stupidity or ignorance, we'll call them low-information voters. Sarah Palin can't name one newspaper that she reads. In the Katie Couric interview, what do you read? All of them, she said. Well, no, Katie said, just name one. She couldn't name one newspaper. She couldn't tell you that she read the Anchorage newspaper, much less the New York Times, the Washington Post. She doesn't know what the vice president does. She thinks the vice president is the head of the Senate, that 40% that of Americans are still going to vote for McCain and Palin is a little frightening still. Well, well that's why I say we really have to have a landslide. Um, some of the other uh, ideas that I want to talk about here, just the idea of Joe the plumber. 
which, you know, they have a saying in England, can't get a foot right, can't set a foot right. That seems like what McCain and Palin have done, you know. John McCain coming out and saying, my fellow prisoners the other day. What kind of Freudian slip is that? And then introducing Joe the plumber at the rally. Joe, where are you? Where are you? And Joe's not even there. Is that is that leadership? Is that is that what we want in the White House? Joe the plumber, you made a big deal out of him, and then he didn't even show up at your rally. And the woman in, where was it? Uh, the redneck part of Pennsylvania, western Pennsylvania, or maybe it was Ohio, the woman... Uh, I think her last name was Todd, that called the police, having been a McCain volunteer for a couple of months, said she was raped and uh, beaten. And, uh, of course, it had to be this big, giant black man, you know, her nightmare, her racist fears, a six-foot-four black guy, stole all her money at an ATM, then beat her up, then raped her, then, as he's walking away, noticed, supposedly, allegedly, a McCain bumper sticker on her car comes back and carves a backward B into her face. Now, you don't have to be a very experienced police officer to suss that out. In fact, Doreen and I fell on the floor laughing when we first heard about it because it was immediately obvious to us that the bee was backwards because she did it in a mirror. <laughs> it's like, the, this is a special kind of stupid, you know. And why is this a non-political discussion I'm having today? Because the stupidity and the ignorance I'm talking about is born of fear. And ultimately, that's what we're campaigning against. A campaign for peace and justice, for love and truth, is a campaign to eradicate the kind of fear that breeds that kind of ignorance. Racism has always been, essentially, fear and ignorance. Even if you think of it as hate, right? Where does that come from? Fear and ignorance. Why? Why do? Why would you hate somebody? Because I, I'm afraid of them, and I don't know them, and they look different, and they speak differently. And you, you saw that old woman stand up at the McCain rally and say, "I read about Barack Obama. He's a Arab." Even, even McCain couldn't handle that one, and had to tell her, "No, he's a decent man." And then realized he was off message. And so he had to get back on message. And the choice of Sarah Palin, what can we say about that? I mean, you have to laugh to keep from crying. She she thinks the vice president is in charge of the Senate. Maybe this is part of a power grab. Certainly Cheney uh, tried to argue that he was not part of the executive branch, that he also was not part of the legislative branch. He was a fourth branch of government. Yeah, he he was the real president telling W what to do. There is a dark and evil man. I, I'm I'm going to be fascinated to see on January 21st. Join me in this, will you? What happens to George Bush and John McCain? Uh, I'm sorry, to George Bush. John McCain's another question. What happens to W and Cheney?
the idea that W is going to go back to Crawford and live in that Dust Bowl in West Texas, I can't believe it. W is from Maine. He, he only got a ranch in Texas so he could run for governor. It's like Elizabeth Dole running her horrible campaign in, uh, was it North or South Carolina? The Doles are from Kansas. What is she doing there? You know, How did Hillary get to New York? I, I guess you can be from any state you want, even Alaska. The biggest state in the nation, they say. Yeah, geographically, but in terms of population, there are five times more people on the island of Manhattan than live in Alaska. And there's Troopergate. And there's the scandal of her spending $150,000 on clothes to prove that she's a hockey mom. Uh, I've never seen such uh, comedy, such farce, such uh, extremes in an election in my life. So... Where does this leave us? With well, a Republican presidential candidate who doesn't know how many houses he owns or how many cars he has, and a Republican vice president that can't name any newspapers that she reads and can't tell you what the vice president does, thinks she'll run the Senate and get in there and make some good legislation. When the Constitution is very clear, her only job is to prepare to be the president in case John McCain dies. McCain said the other day, a couple of days ago, on I forget which TV interview, one of the TV interviews, maybe, maybe with Larry King, he was saying, I don't like all this talk about me being dying. <laughs> I don't like all this talk about me being dying. All right. Uh, I don't like that kind of bad English either. But So, as I suggested in my, and we are going to do a visualization exercise today too. I want to calm us all down and create some focused passion here. I don't want you to get too calm. <laughs> you know, use states of relaxation and and, and focus and passion uh, to take a vision of a whole new age. We're about to get our country back. This is like the early 60s. I doubt most of you are old enough to remember what it was like. And if you don't remember John Kennedy coming into office and that whole feeling of Camelot, maybe you remember George McGovern and Bobby Kennedy and Eugene McCarthy in 68. And then after killing John Kennedy, they had to kill Bobby, and then they killed Martin Luther King, and then they killed John Lennon. I don't see the left killing the people that promote war and hatred and racism, but those people kill the people of peace repeatedly. And I, yeah, I'm going to bring it up. Brock's got a bullseye painted on his back, and you've got to know that. And you've got to know that he knows that. And that his wife knows that. The kids are too young maybe to appreciate it. But that's just the beginning of what he's willing to give up 
to do this gig. Because I think, and I feel real strongly about this, that Barack Obama and his family and, and others close to him know that what is happening in this country and the world, for that matter, right now, is much bigger than Barack Obama. As fantastic and fascinating as this story about the rise of Barack Obama is, uh, there's an even bigger story. If somebody told you a year and a half ago that a black man, a freshman senator, with the name Barack Hussein Obama, with a father from Kenya, and who's sort of funny looking on top of that, his ears stick out, and he's sort of skinny, that this man of color would be the president of the United States. That's big. That's bigger than Barack Obama. Uh, in, his, in his recent HBO special, I thought Chris Rock was particularly funny. You know, he he does his, his thing. He paces the stage. Chris Rock just walks back and forth like he's on a treadmill only from one end of the stage to the other. And he's pacing and he's walking and he's working it all out. And He's talking about George Bush screwing things up so bad that it's made it hard for a white guy to get elected in the United States of America. And again, I had to, I cracked up. I had to laugh. Imagine. You know, imagine. This is Dr. King's dream, you guys. This is the dream of civil rights. And, you know, there's a gender element, too, you know, I'm, I'm sure Hillary is upset at losing this, and I know Bill is upset at a chance to be the president for eight more years, like he's FDR or something. But Hillary Clinton did crack the glass ceiling and and put a lot of cracks in it. And Sarah Palin, in spite of the fact that, you know, she's totally unqualified, here's the first woman vice presidential, well, the second um, after Geraldine Ferraro. Uh, it's just a tragedy that of all the skirts they could have chosen, they chose one who tries to rally the base. How cynical. Choosing not the best candidate uh, to, to be in the office, but the best candidate to help win the uh, election. That's just so cynical. I think that was the primary reason that even Colin Powell and Larry Eagleburger and all these other conservatives are just saying, I'm going to vote for Barack Obama. I'm going to vote for change. Not because he's a Democrat. They're Republicans. Lifelong Republicans. Conservatives. Real conservatives. Not, not these neocons. And, and, and they're voting for Barack Obama, too. So this is bigger than Barack. This is a wave. This is the new age. This is rapture. This is the second coming. Only Jesus doesn't have to come down on a cloud, and all the the born-agains don't have to disappear while they're driving their cars or whatever that horrible scene is where 
they leave their unsaved children and everybody else behind and just disappear. Second coming is a coming of love, of Christos, not Jesus, of Christos, of the Buddha nature, of love truth, of consciousness. It's the hippie new age, but the hippie new age has been prophesied for a very, very long time by men and women who realize that Darwin was talking about evolution of the physical species, but there's also an evolution of consciousness that eventually some significant number of women and men in the world, and yeah, even in the United States, would wake up one day and see themselves in people they don't agree with and see themselves in their enemy and see the divine potential of love and wisdom in all things. And thanks to the kids, another generation of young people, we've reached that critical mass. And the teeter-totter is tipping away from ignorance and fear and war and violence. And I haven't even talked about plundering our economy and stealing the silverware on the way out the door. As if they haven't plundered the economy enough. Do you ever ask yourself, in the last few weeks, this $750 billion bailout, that's like 750,000 piles of a million dollars. See a million dollars piled up? Imagine 750,000 of those million-dollar piles going to bail out the banks. Now, where, where is the government going to get the money to give to the bank? They're going to borrow it from the bank. It's a scam. It's an abs. And notice how they blame the poor. Oh, well, it's Fannie and Freddie and the Democratic agenda pushing houses and home ownership on poor people that can't really afford it. They always blame the poor, don't they? So Wall Street comes in, deregulates itself, acts like plundering, marauding pirates, plunders our treasury, steals the pensions of, of, it's just so cruel, it's just so evil. And then on top of it, they blame the poor. It's difficult to find words. How will you ever explain this to your grandchildren? What will you say that you did? You know, at least you can say, well, I voted for Barack Obama, who has stated about the war in Iraq, which we know clearly is about oil. And there's balance of power, so-called. There's logistical reasons and why we support Israel and, and an Arab world and all of that stuff. But oil could be spelled... Um, oil, O for oil, I for Israel, L for logistics. We're there for that kind of oil. Um, I, I lost the point I was going to make here. 
Just the idea. Oh, I know what it is. Thank you. Brock said, and if I said this already, Lord, it bears repeating. He said, I'm not only going to end that war. I'm going to end the mindset that leads to war. Now, Brock only said that once. And then he started moving toward the middle, because that's where he's got to go. I know it's frustrating for those of us on the left to watch Barack move to the middle, but he's got to do it to get elected and to get elected in a landslide. But this man, and I believe him, I believe him when he said, I'm going to end this war and the mindset that leads to war. The American arrogance that says we're 6% of the world, but we can use 30% of the world's oil because we're America. There's something twisted and perverse in that. That's not the America that the Constitution represents. That's not the America that the founding moms and dads envisioned when they cast off tyranny to come here. Yes, they brought slaves, many of them. Yes, they were willing to participate in genocide, not only against indigenous Americans, but <laughs> where should I begin uh, with uh, incarcerating Americans of Japanese descent during World War II, or the Tuskegee experiment, a classic example of racism in the federal government, where they deliberately in the 1950s gave syphilis to 20 black men, never told them without their consent, and watched the syphilis develop, refusing treatment so they could study as if guinea pigs the development of this horrible disease that eventually eats your brain up in these 20 black men in Tuskegee. There, are, there is both enfolded within the American dream, the darkest of evil and the greatest of hope, an audacity of hope, as Reverend Wright <laughs> said. This between you and me. I never heard anything Reverend Wright said that I disagreed with, including the goddamn America part. But you can't really win over middle America with that kind of stuff. But I would have sat in that church for 20 years and not been offended by any of that either. He's absolutely right. They talk a lot about the Bradley effect and will white voters, will Bubba, who's saying now he's going to vote for Barack, because he's embarrassed and ashamed to admit he's such a redneck and such a, quote, low-information voter that he'd vote for John McCain. Will he, once he or she is in the voting place, uh, vote for the white guy, the so-called Bradley effect, when the mayor of L.A., Tom Bradley, uh, was way ahead in the polls running for the governor of California, and, and George Dukemajian beat him. Big come from behind. They call that the Bradley effect. I think there will be some of that, but you know what? I think there's a lot of white folks, some of the, especially in the Deep South, in the redneck parts of Pennsylvania and Ohio and Indiana, uh, a lot of out west, a lot of white folks that you know are race defenders 
and they're telling their friends and the pollsters too that they're going to vote for McCain but they're going to get in that polling place on Tuesday and think about their children I'm hoping, I'm just hoping and think about their grandchildren and maybe even some of them think like the indigenous Americans did about their impact seven generations this was Native American wisdom. You all, but you don't do any action, any behavior in the environment without considering the impact seven generations hence. I had a conversation with a fellow the other day. I won't identify. I'm sort of embarrassed to even admit who this person is. But they were talking about how they were going to vote McCain. And because of the uh, tax cuts for the rich and this person isn't rich but thinks he is and will never be truly rich but aspires to be identifies with that richness and I said so you're voting self-interest he said America is built on self-interest I said America is built somewhat on self-interest but as that self grows it becomes aware that it is not separated from community interest. Do you see? There is the uninformed and ignorant self that is separative. But as we develop ourselves, our interest in self begins to include your neighbor and your community. What does the word mean, community, but with unity? And then, how far down the block does that love your neighbor stuff go? Does it extend to a neighboring state? Does it include Canada and Mexico and Central and South America? And if so, could it include Europe? And could it include the Middle East and Africa? And could it include Southwest Asia and Asia? Could our neighbors be everybody on the planet? One planet? One people? Could it? Of course. And can we also honor diversity? Of course. And there's the paradox that unity, as in community, requires diversity. And, you know, to go much further into that is to move into a whole area of esoteric philosophy that I'm not going to do today. But honor the paradox, recognize the paradox, you see it in the environment, in the ecosystem, unity, strength, power, relies on diversity. A diverse gene pool is a strong gene pool, a homogenized, narrow gene pool, you get deliverance. You get that kid on the porch playing the banjo. You get the royal lineages of Europe and the hemophilia and the, and the mental illness that comes from inbreeding. <laughs> Unity is based on diversity in the environment, in, in breeding, in the food chain, uh, in uh, computers, the Internet. I'm talking to you on a network that is unified because of its diversity. And so we shouldn't be surprised to understand that the universe spiritually works the same way. The strength of its unity comes from its diversity. 
and so we think globally but act locally. We honor the individual, especially when he or she is willing to work in harmony with the one life. That's what I want to share with you today about the election now just hours away, both in response to requests from you that I do this, but just out of a need to say, stop arguing from a political point of view. You don't have to be a Democrat to vote for Barack Obama. You could be a Republican, an Independent. My mother, 88-year-old mother, is going to vote for Barack Obama. She's never voted for a Democrat in her life, and she's not voting for him because he's a Democrat. She's voting for him because she, in her heart, I don't think, feels like she really has a choice. And I think a lot of people who may tell the pollsters they're going to vote for McCain could have a reverse Bradley effect and end up voting for that funny-looking black guy who just might be a Muslim because his middle name is Hussein. Imagine. Imagine the world. Imagine little children, poor children, children with almost no hope in Africa and Asia and elsewhere, children of color knowing that the United States of America, which has always been ruled and dominated by old white men, is now led by a man of color, somebody who looks sort of like they do. And Barack Obama is not only going to end this war, he's going to end the mindset that led to this war. But he's got to have some help in Congress. That's why going to the polls Tuesday is so important. you got to throw the bums out. All right? And if your conscience says, I'm sorry, I can't vote Democratic in all these other elections. I've got to vote Independent or Green or Peace and Freedom or Socialist Worker or whatever. Or I'm going to vote for uh, Symphony... Uh, uh, I've forgotten her name now, uh, McKenna, who's running for president, or Ralph Nader, who's running for president. If you feel that strongly about it and your conscience dictates it, go for it. But if if you're feeling like I am, boy, I'm playing in the party now. Uh, um, there are there are tears on the on the edge of my eyeballs that, <laughs> that are. I feel like I felt the day I was married, you know. Again, not because the Democrats are taking over. I have little faith in the, de <laughs> in the Democrats or the Democratic Party. I have much more faith in Brock, but I'm saying there's something even bigger. Brock knows that it's bigger than just him. And that's part of why I'm so excited about what's happening. Okay, if you submitted a, uh, a question or a comment, uh, you can do so now at the bottom of the page and include your name, and I'm going to go through these. Um, I'm seeing dear friends and strangers and all kinds of folks checking in here today. I've already acknowledged uh, Mark in Thousand Oaks, and uh, we have uh, Albert in Rosemead, who's uh, with us, and uh, talking today about his six-year-old. 
you know. It just just tears me out. He says, uh, time has come today to be a witness and participate in the metamorphosis of the human race. <laughs> it's pretty cool. And Brenda in Costa Mesa, no question about it. She said, uh, greetings again. Uh, she's talking about uh, having just found this uh, after missing us on KPFK. And that reminds me to remind you to let folks know about this Sunday webinar. We're here every week. I've just finished a six-part mini-series of on personal development, and it's all archived. It's all here for you. All these programs you can check out anytime. Just go to my website, theagelesswisdom.com. Click on homepage to go in, and then on web teleconferences, and they're all right there. If you want to receive the newsletter, well, when you first arrive at theagelesswisdom.com, you see a big button right under homepage that says free newsletter. And then you get both the newsletter and access uh, to the webinar. So uh, Brenda goes on to talk about uh, teaching the mind calendar. She's pointing to 2012 um, and uh, practicing the shamanic way. And that's uh, what's beautiful. Thank you, Brenda. Also, Lorelei, who's with us most every week from just outside Tucson, Arizona. And uh, Carol Postel, dear friend, a great student for many years in La Habra is with us. Says hello to everybody. John in Pittsburgh. Aloha, Michael and Doreen. Hi, John. Uh, Peter. Peter in uh, Tampa, Florida. If you have the time, please discuss. If we're <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, please discuss if we were to have real change, at what point does campaign financing play a role? Is it possible to have real change as long as the politicians are beholden to those who manage the purse strings? Excellent question. Uh, I, I think it needs to be revisited because what uh, um, Dean the candidate from four years ago. I, I keep calling him John Dean. What's his name? Howard Dean? What's his name? Howard Dean. What he did four years ago and what Barack has done this time is a kind of public financing. Um, five, ten, twenty, twenty-five dollar contributions for the most part, averaging uh, less than a hundred dollars on average uh, from folks just like you and me over the internet. And so that is a kind of public financing, even though the Republicans say, wait a minute, you broke your promise for public financing. No, they didn't. They invented a new kind of public financing. But money is always going to play a role. Money is the closest thing to power we have next to guns. And you can't shoot people in this country very often unless you dress them up in uniforms and promise them medals. Then it's okay. So we'll have to revisit that someday, no question. That needs to be part of the debate. In uh, MacArthur Park, she says Metro L.A. I used to call that South Hollywood, the beautiful area of town. Jessica says, hello. Uh, I attended one of your seminars a couple of years ago and wanted to take the four-year-long class. Yeah, I did a career class. Uh, I did four of them um, just before I left L.A., but... 
said she missed out on that. She has problems with avoidance and uh, and uh, starting fear or standing. Okay, it's hard for me to read the starting fear. It looks like well, we all have problems with fear and avoidance. Jessica, I'll be happy to help you with that either privately or just happy to tell you to keep listening to this every Sunday. And uh, also in Apple Valley, Don says uh, hola. And hola, a lot like aloha, hola, to Don in Apple Valley. Uh, by the way, Don, we're 3,000 feet up the volcano, so we have apple trees here too. Very cool. Here's an interesting one. Uh, Anonymous North America. I hope you're right about Obama. Uh, I've always respected your political opinion, talking about me. And been uh, wavering between Nader and Obama, because Obama voted uh, to not impeach the most impeachable president. Yeah, I understand that. There's lots of things that Barack Obama has said and done that in any other time would cause me to vote for Nader. I'll tell you the truth. I won't tell you what to do or how to vote, but I'll tell you what I did. In the year 2000, I voted for Nader. I really did. I felt that uh, Al Gore was uh, just too mediocre and wishy-washy and uh, too much like the Clintons. You know, Bill Clinton was no liberal. He looks pretty good compared to what we've been through in the last eight years, but Bill Clinton has always been right of center. He decimated aid to dependent children, destroyed hot lunch for children in schools, made it very difficult for, for poor people in many ways. Did a lot of things uh, that I didn't approve of, so I voted for Nader in 2000. And if you need to do that again, if your conscience says this isn't a horse race, I have to vote for the candidate that best represents me, um, I, I would respect that. But in 2004, uh, I voted for Kerry. I held my nose and voted for Kerry. I felt about him pretty much the same way I felt about uh, Al Gore and most other Democrats in the past. They're just on the dole. They're taking money from the same special interests that the Republicans take money from. I first learned that in the 60s with Nixon. And Nixon started getting in trouble for illegal campaign contributions. That was part of the greater Watergate scandal. And lo and behold, as a journalist, they did a little research and found out the same corporate interests that were buying government from Nixon were making the same kinds of, you know, donations, if you will, contributions uh, to the Democrats, they always have. That's why there's only two parties. If there's only two parties, you can buy them both off. So, you know, I feel strongly about the need for a third party and a fourth party, and but not this year. The way I feel, just the way I feel, not this year. First, we've got to get the government back. We've got to stop war, stop torture, stop extreme rendering, stop the plundering of our economy, stop fascism right here in the United States of America. And so that's just my feeling. If you're going to you know, vote for Nader or Cynthia McKinney or write in your own name, if it's your conscience that tells you to do that, so be it. 
Also, a dear friend in Portland, so nice to hear from uh, Felicity. She says, I voted for Obama already. And uh, let me zoom into this. My eyes aren't as good as they used to be. And I submit that every time an American citizen, no matter who they vote for, pumps fossil fuel into their car, they're choosing to send their children to kill and die for oil. And it astounds me that this cognitive disconnection that exists and all my fellow righteous peacemongers, and uh, that the means are the ends. And we cannot expect uh, any kind of corporate empire who Obama also works for to do as we all do. And there's more here. Anonymous had more. Felicity has more. I promise I'll read those. Um, I promise I will read those. But what I want to do is share with you, and then we'll do a quick guided imagery exercise, and once again reorient ourselves beyond politics to just the vision of the world that we can all agree on. But I want to share with you, if I can find it here, this is a piece that I first saw, yeah, here it is. Here's a, this is a piece I first saw in the early 1970s when I was just out of college. And the numbers have changed a little bit, but not much. And it really reveals the disconnect that Felicity is talking about. And I won't spend a lot of time on it because it's so powerful. It speaks for itself right off the bat. It's about percentages and condensing the world into a village of 100 people. Uh, you've probably seen this, but... Listen up. If the world was just like it is now, but reduced to a village of 100 people, now keep that in mind. You're in a village and there's only you and 99 others. 57 of us would be Asian. 21 would be European. 13 would be American, that is North, Central, and South. 6% would be USA citizens. 6 out of the 100 would live in the United States. Eight would live in Africa, would be Africans. 52% would be women, 48% men. 30 Caucasians, 70 non-whites. White people, you're 30% of the world. I know, you thought you were all of it, right? 30 would be Christians. 70 of you are not Christians. White people, Christians, you're not even a third. Eighty-nine would be heterosexuals, at least eleven homosexuals. How many others are afraid to admit to their true sexuality or their bisexuality? Uh, who knows what those numbers are? Now get this. Six percent of the people, six people in this village of 100, six percent of the world owns 59 percent of the wealth and they are all living in the United States of America. 59% of the world's wealth is here. You want to contribute that to the industriousness uh, of the American people and their vision and their willingness to work hard? Fine. How do you account for the fact that everywhere else in the world People share that vision, they want to work just as hard, and they turn around and try to fight for freedom, and they find that the United States is supporting a military dictator, or just came in and overthrew 
a democratically elected person to install a dictator. Chavez in Venezuela, democratically elected. CIA is working to kill him and overthrow him, um, just as we did uh, Allende in uh, Chile and replaced him with uh, you know, a fascist military dictatorship. That was the United States that did that. The birthplace of freedom going around the world overthrowing democratically elected people because they might be a little too progressive and uh, installing dictatorship. But that's not the story. 80%, 80 of the 100 people in this village, 80% of the world lives in poverty. The official word in the United States for that is, or phrase, is food insecurity. It's like we don't talk about global warming. We call it climate change. We don't talk about unnecessary poverty. We call it food insecurity. Well, fine, your kids don't know if they're going to eat tonight. 80% of the world. How can you tolerate that? Does that mean we have to create a global welfare state or an American welfare state? No, it just means you take your boot heel off the necks of the people that have been oppressed. Blacks as slaves, now it's Mexican people of color. And this whole immigration thing, if you don't see the economics in that, you need to see it a little more clearly. Why are those 80 in poverty? 70 of the 80 cannot read or write. Seven tenths of the world is illiterate. I've seen studies that illiteracy in America, in the United States of America, is 30 to 35 percent. That's why they have the pictures on the menus, because people can't read a menu in the United States. But in this world of ours, 80 percent of the world now is in poverty, 70 percent is illiterate. Those schools, why? Good, cheap labor. And, of course, one is dying, and one is born, and one has a university degree. That's the change that we need in the world. If you want to get bogged down in politics, fine. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to get bogged down in politics. But uh, doesn't that just sort of say it? Uh, you know, you're, you're proud to be an American. Are you proud to be an earthling? A planet dweller? It's like I said, how far down the block does that love your neighbor stuff go? Why do we still have nuclear weapons? Why do we allow our government after 9-11, when 19 guys with box cutters took down the World Trade Center, are we still putting an anti-missile system and laser systems and particle beam systems in Earth orbit when you can deliver a nuke in a suitcase and take down the World Trade Center with enough box cutters? There's something very, very wrong here. Something very wrong. Uh... Just a few more to acknowledge Brian in Lancaster 
and uh, he says uh, thanks for speaking for the poor about poverty and those who cannot speak for themselves that would be the children and all the people that are not out this is so much bigger than politics this is that new age this is the awakening and it's it's you know we saw it beginning in the 60s you can say well we saw it in the 20s with the suffragettes yeah and we saw it after the war with the black nationalist movement and you, you it's difficult to draw the line and say this is where it begins but the energy of the 60s is coming back and oddly the children of the hippies swung to the right and now their children I'm generalizing obviously have swung back to the left it's the it's largely the grandchildren of the baby boomers that don't see color and that are radical enough to recognize the potential of the Constitution and so much needs to be changed I'm, I'm just seeing a teeter-totter here okay with the fulcrum in the middle that is for the very first time starting to tip away from the old boy old white men European power structure I was in an eye clinic here in Maui the other day down in Wailuku and the woman that was helping me the optician was a woman or is a woman who by all appearances, look like a mix between Japanese and Hawaiian, a woman of color. And I started talking about Barack Obama and how I thought that it was time that old white men gave up their monopoly on power. Well, I'm an old white guy. I'm not that old, but I'm gray. <laughs> I'm a gray beard. Uh, my driver's license, I put brown in the hair area, blue eyes, brown hair, and the DMV changed it to gray, so I guess I'm officially old. And I'm an old white guy, and here I am saying enough of this monopoly, and she, it was like her jaw dropped, she looked at me. Like, you're an old white guy, what are you saying, old white guys shouldn't run the show anymore? Well, just because I'm an old white guy, I'll never be that old. <laughs> And uh, I am a bleeding heart. I guess that's what it comes down to. I don't know that liberal is sufficient to describe me because I'm so far beyond liberal in so many areas. I'm so radical and so far out there in so many areas that I see liberals as being way too conservative. But the bleeding heart part, uh, that's me. That's me, and I'm proud of it. I've spent a lot of money on therapy and <laughs> and done a lot of work on both sides of the couch in seminars and personal development and spiritual development to allow my heart to bleed for humanity. It's called compassion, and it's the highest form of love there is. And I'd like you to take some of that with you. If you've already voted, conjure it up. If you're going to vote today, conjure it up tomorrow, Tuesday, whenever you go in, into the poll and cast that vote, you're casting it for generations of, 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 of children all around the world, not just Americans. 
not just for Barack Obama and Joe Biden, not just for the Democratic Party, not just for liberal politics and let's stop the war and end the plundering of our economy, but vote for peace and justice. A vote for a world that can get along by honoring diversity. You know, you don't have to have one centralized world government in order for us to have peace and justice. That's just the right-wing John Birch talking point, that world government would result. It's not likely. So, vote compassion, vote your heart. And if that's, again, if that's Cynthia McKinney or uh, Ralph Nader or... Um, peace and freedom or socialist workers or whatever, go ahead, vote your conscience. As long as you're coming from compassion, from love, from peace. And we'll quibble about the other stuff. You know. We'll work out the fuel thing. We'll figure out a way to get people fed. we got to come together. The, the, the plundering of our economy by the ruling class in this country and the plundering of the global economy we haven't even begun to see the effects. It could be very, very difficult times ahead. And if there's not a landslide and we don't have the support in the Congress, then all of Brock's intentions, you know, are going to fall on deaf ears if the Republicans and, and the ultra-conservatives, the fascists, continue to hold sway in this country. We need a new deal. We need an FDR new deal. Public works programs, yes, and we're going to tax the rich. We're going to tax the rich like they've never been taxed. Because they can say they pay 35% corporate tax, but two-thirds of corporations pay no tax at all. And we won't even talk about Exxon making 50, 55 billion dollars a year, and John McCain wants to give them another $300 billion in tax breaks. You know, this makes a mockery of selling your soul to the devil. This is a Faustian bargain on a level we've never even imagined before. So just as the world is about to be divided up by the most ruthless megalomaniacs, just as they're about to succeed, some significant number of our neighbors wake up and go, holy, whatever. <laughs> uh, we got to do something. So I see it really big. I, I, I see it as a tipping point, a cultural tipping point, and that fascism, and even this Bubba gods and gun right wing. NASCAR, i got nothing against car racing. It's just this culture, it's largely alcohol-driven. And, 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 and a lot of poverty in there. How they get these people to vote against their own interest again and again. Yeah, I'm going to put a rich guy in office because I want to have a beer with old Goober Bush. Not a very good reason. You don't want your leaders to be people that you can party with, Bubba. You want them to be road scholars and graduates of 
major, you know, Barack Obama graduated from Harvard. He's the head of the Harvard Law Review. He's a constitutional scholar and a professor. Nobody talks about that. Not even Barack pushes those credentials. Let's do a little visualization exercise, and then I'll let you guys go before the bottom of the hour here. Close your eyes if you're listening live, or maybe you're listening to a replay. Hello to the future. Now you get a sense of what it's like. Back here in November of 2008, hours away from this most important election. If it's an appropriate time for you, close your eyes and get comfortable. Take a nice, slow, deep breath. And as you exhale, release all of your fear, all of your anger, as much of your hurt and anxiety as you can. And do it again. Take a nice, slow, deep breath, inhaling through the nose. Fill your lungs. Hold as you peek. And now, ah, the sigh of relief. The sigh of release. Feel the letting go. Imagine yourself from head to toe, softening like butter on a warm day, like a snowman melting in the spring. Yield to relaxation. As you begin to visualize a beautiful place of perfect peace, before you imagine the future, imagine yourself right now with your eyes closed. Let your breathing fall to its normal rhythm. Imagine yourself in paradise, in the safest and most beautiful place that you could possibly dream of. Whether you're high in a mountain or deep in a valley, you may be on the seashore, you might be in the tropics, you might be in some beautiful pine forest. But as you allow my voice to go with you, hear birds singing. See how easy that is? The feeling that you're making it up is exactly right. Take another slow, deep breath and imagine that you can hear the wind in the treetops. And yet you're remembering times in your life that you felt really safe and relaxed. Remembering a time in your life when you felt extraordinary inner peace and safety. time in your life, even if it was very long ago, maybe even childhood, when you didn't worry about the bills that were coming in the mail, you didn't even know what a bill was, you wouldn't know how to pay it, you didn't watch the TV news, or if you did, you didn't really understand it, and so it didn't frighten you, you weren't worried about it, just pretend right now, just pretend that you have this idyllic sense of life being beautiful and sweet. And that people around you are kind and loving and generous. 
Just pretend. That not only were the people around you kind and loving, but when you would go shopping or go out to do some sort of work or commerce, the people you encounter there are loving and kind. Just pretend. What if? What would that be like if every place you went, and every once in a while somebody was in a bad mood, sort of grumpy, but you weren't afraid of them. They weren't honking at you in traffic and trying to run you off the road. They weren't cutting in line and living some sort of dog-eat-dog world. What if folks just practiced loving-kindness, some significant percentage? What if the world really worked and there were rich people and there were poor people, but there was no extreme poverty and there were no children dying of starvation anywhere on this earth? And you loved your country and you loved your state and you loved your city and you loved your self. But most importantly, you love life, all life. The animals, things with faces. And if you can't stop eating them, maybe you could eat fewer of them. And the plants, you realize they give us our oxygen. Whether they live on the land or in the sea, it's the plant kingdom that provides the very oxygen we breathe and we love the plants. Imagine if we were so wise as to love the mother itself, Gaia, the mineral kingdom, the earth, and the waters that flow, the oceans and rivers and streams and lakes, and the air, and the whole earth. If we knew no fear, but just loved all things, for no reason at all. And you not only practiced love and sent love and gave just to give rather than giving to get. You could experience compassion and caring on a higher level than you've ever known and continue to evolve and unfold that divine potential within you effortlessly and for no reason at all. Just because it's what you have and it's who you are. Say to yourself, I am love. Not only I have the love I'm looking for, I am love. And vote. And follow up by volunteering helping. We can't find a charity where you'd like to help invent your own, create your own. Be the best that you can be and then give it away to others in service because you are that. You are love. And although I'm going to ask you in just a couple of moments to open your eyes and come back to the wide awake place, 
You can return here anytime you want and practice being the love you've been looking for in politics, in your social life, in commerce, in education, in economics, in all areas. I am that love. I am love truth. I practice loving kindness and compassion. And take a slow, deep breath of life itself. And as you exhale, open your eyes wide awake and alert, refreshed and rested, and back in the room feeling fine. And get the sense, just maybe, that we're standing on the verge of a quantum leap forward that historians will discuss the beginning of the 21st century, back when Barack Obama was elected president, and humanity seemed on a global level to sense itself in a whole new, harmonious, if not unified way. And may the God and the goddess that you most believe in bless you, your sense of all that is, and imbue you with life that you may be of ever greater service to others. And I hope you'll join us next week as we come back here for the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha.